Uh, and indeed, therefore, they're the closing verses of this second section of the book, uh, this section that's written to refute and uh, totally change their attitude towards deliberate conscious sinning. And um, in these closing verses, he comes back to the actual sin of which they were guilty. You remember we said his first concern was for the fact of the way the church treated and handled this sin, but now he comes back to the issue of the sin itself and as well really makes a bridge into the third section of the letter as we go into chapter 7 where he's answering questions they've raised and the first question that he tackles is the question of marriage which is of course the positive side of um, sexual activity which he's dealing with here from verse 12 onwards of chapter 6 this section is all about sexual immorality I'm so glad it's a cubby service Uh, youngsters you're growing up obviously in a day and an age that totally refuses to accept that there is anything sinful or wrong in wrong sexual relationships and attitudes or indeed uh, that, that, that there is anything that you should be ashamed of about in them um, the world's attitude in our generation Britain's attitude in our generation is that whatever pleases you you should be able to do and enjoy uh, without restraint pretty well uh, we were at the hustings at uh, Elia a few nights ago and uh, one or two of the youngsters were there and I had the opportunity to ask the question of the candidates uh, should it be a crime to describe sexual, um, homosexual uh, practice as sinful and um, the interesting thing was that all six of them who were there said no it should not be a crime to do that but several of them very forcefully made the point that in their opinion it is definitely not sinful and uh, they totally disagree with the idea that it should be described as sinful that's our generation and that's obviously youngsters what you're growing up in Paul here uh, from verse 9 onwards wants to make it abundantly clear that there is only one right sexual relationship for anyone to engage in and that is between one man and one woman in the sanctity of marriage that you first get into that relationship of being married with the person and then within that relationship you enjoy sex in a right God-honouring way as God designed and intended it to be. So see firstly two sayings used wrongly, verses 12 into verse 13. Paul starts off with these two little sayings, they're there in quotes, everything is permissible for me and then food for the stomach and the stomach for food I guess to make any sense of this passage we have to ask the question where do these come from of course very often when Paul quotes something he's quoting the Old Testament scriptures he's quoting them to defend and support what he's saying now that clearly is not the case here Paul is not going back and saying look let me give you some Old Testament scriptures to support what I'm saying I I believe we can't understand this in any way other than he's quoting two of the favourite sayings of the Corinthian Christians there in the church. They're going around saying, everything is permissible for me and food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And these sayings have become very well known. You know, isn't it amazing how people always want to justify their sin and what they do wrong? And it seems that here in this church they've sort of got themselves some little sayings to justify their attitude towards wrong sexual behaviour and these are those sayings and so Paul takes their very sayings and answers them here in these verses the first one is quoted twice here and is quoted again later on in this letter everything is permissible 
for me. That's actually an amazingly wonderful statement of our freedom in Christ, isn't it? Used in a right sense. And I suggest it's even possible that they got this expression from Paul himself. After all, Paul writes Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says in 1 Timothy 4.4 For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. He says in Titus 1.15 To the pure, all things are pure. And it may be that they've actually picked this up from Paul's teaching. Everything is permissible. And in Christ I am free, praise the Lord. I'm free from, and Paul could say he was free from the crippling life he had previously lived in seeking to earn God's favour through his own efforts. He was free from the ever-present knowledge that every day he failed to please God. And every day rather than get closer to acceptance in heaven he was getting further from it. Free from examining his own life, not only in light of the Old Testament law that he couldn't keep, but also from every pharisaical law that had been added to it. He was free from his former life of believing that sin is all about external codes of conduct, of not eating this, of not touching that, of not walking more than a prescribed number of steps on the Sabbath, and not picking seeds on the Sabbath. He was free. And Paul delighted in that freedom. He spoke about it so often, didn't he, that he was free in Christ. And he could rightly rejoice that everything is permissible for me except sin. And that's what he says here, isn't it? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Although I have absolute freedom in Christ, that does not extend to me disobeying Christ. It does not extend to me doing things that would damage my relationship with Christ. It doesn't extend to me doing anything that will in any way detract from my focus on Christ. NIV says beneficially, it's be helpful. Either way, it's the same. Sin is the enemy of the human soul. Whether we're not a Christian or whether we're a Christian, it must always be seen as the enemy. Can I just suggest though, before we move on to sin, that we could apply this equally well to things that aren't of themselves sinful. When he says not everything is beneficial and I'll not be mastered by anything, things like wealth that steal the heart aren't sinful in and of themselves, are they? But when they start to take us away from our love of Christ, when they start to compete with our love of him, when material things start to take our minds and our hearts, then they become sinful. Things like TV and hobbies and our computers and things that we start finding ourselves spending so much time on. There's nothing evil in and of themselves, there's nothing sinful about them, but they're not beneficial for us when they take over our lives, are they? They're not helpful for us, they start to master us and Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. Things that replace our prayer life things that replace the time we'd spend studying God's word, things that make us lazy and flabby in our faith, things that take our focus off of holiness, things that deaden our zeal, things that shift our eyes from Christ and our hearts from heaven. Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. 
and if something isn't beneficial for me and he's saying that as a Christian then although it may be permissible for me I won't do it because it's not benefiting me and in this context especially sin and in this context especially sexual immorality because that is the big problem there at the church at Corinth and for so many Christians today isn't it at least in the mind if not in the practice and the frightening thing is verse 12 these things and especially if it's related to sex how easily they do enslave a masterist don't they I remember Roger saying and I've mentioned it before about this man who came to see him and said about the damage that pornographic websites were, were doing to him and he said they're destroying my mind and they're destroying my marriage that's what they do don't they they enslave, they master, they capture they become an obsession they, 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 we, we start to feed off of them and, and whether it's physical sexual immorality or if it's in our minds and our hearts the end result is disaster and Paul says I won't be mastered by things like that I won't be enslaved by things like that things like that aren't beneficial for me they're sinful put them away and then there's this second saying food for the stomach and the stomach for food there's no good sense to that is there you see what they're saying there what their argument is you can only assume it's in the context of sexual immorality what their argument is is that well having sex is just like food your body needs it you know your body needs food you eat it it passes through your body and goes out that's the end of it and you have some more food sex is just the same as that it's just fulfilling a bodily function that's all it is my friend is it possible there's someone here this morning who's right there either in their mind or in their actions and you're trying to justify what you're doing with sort of arguments like well I'm free in Christ and Christ has forgiven me Paul addresses that right in Rome doesn't he should we sin in order that grace should abound what a rubbish argument you know it doesn't matter what I do now because God's going to forgive me it's no argument at all or are you trying to justify it on the basis that well it's only a physical thing it doesn't affect my spiritual relationship with the Lord it's just like food it's just something my body needs no it isn't it is sin it's what Christ died for you to conquer so Paul counters these two wrong statements with seven good ones seven right statements well I'm going to make seven of it it just depends how you break the verses up really and we'll try very quickly to move through them in the time that we've got here's your first one verse 13 your body is for serving God that's what God's given you your body for the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body never ceases to amaze me how dissatisfied people are with their bodies this Industries in this company, companies in this country, companies in this country make a fortune out of the dissatisfaction that people have with their own bodies, don't they? It's a multi-billion pound industry. Cosmetics, uh, hair treatments, rejuvenating treatments, and this is just the men. You know, it's just a, a massive concern for people, isn't it? What I look like, what my body's like. 
then you've got to look at the adverts on television of an evening it's an obsession I wonder if any of you Christians feel like that about your own bodies can I encourage you I'm not saying that those things slimming is good exercise is good of course they are I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're not but can I encourage you to see as well the higher purpose of your body you know we seem to spend so much time looking in the mirror and thinking how others are going to see us and how others are going to consider us your body's got a higher calling than that God's given you it to serve him with that's awesome isn't it that God has given you this frame that you can use it for his glory so for how much time you spend in the mirror looking at yourself wondering how others see and what you look like can I encourage you to spend some time thinking about how you're serving God with that body as well because at the end of the day that's the thing that's going to count that's the thing that's got significance in this world doesn't really matter at the end of time what anyone else thinks about your body does it it does matter how you use it for God and God says look it's not been given you for sexual immorality it's been given you to serve the king that's the first reason your, your body will work properly in the final analysis when it's been used for what God's given it to you for for serving him and all the time you're using it for sin instead it's never going to be right that's not its purpose that's not its design criteria that's not what it's for it's for serving God argument number one. Second reason verse 14 your body is for more than just this life by his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also my friend God has a future for your body yes he's going to destroy it you're going to die but after that he's going to raise it again glorified you won't have to worry about what it looks like then it will be perfect but that body has a future it's not part of this fallen world as a Christian it's not something that's just going to go to dust and that's going to be the end of it so it matters how you treat it you don't abuse it because it's got an eternal destiny with the Lord the world has no such expectation of the future does it a non-Christian has no idea that his body has got a purpose beyond death therefore his greatest goal is to get the maximum pleasure he can for his body now in this lifetime he's got nothing better to look forward to and so he'll look to every sexual perversion, every sexual experience to try and satisfy to the maximum he can the desires of his body and he'll get more and more frustrated, more and more disappointed and try more and more extreme things to try and meet that need. My friends, we know that our bodies are meant for more than that and longer than that and greater than that. One day they're going to be in heaven with the king. They're going to be on this new earth. They're going to be used then for serving the Lord in all holiness your body is for more than just this life as a third reason verse 15 your body is in Christ do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute never as we said before as a Christian you are no longer on your own biblical Christianity knows nothing about isolationist Christians you know, and, and, and even if you physically are on your own, whether through forced or, or choice, 
If you are truly a Christian, you're still part anyway of the body of Jesus Christ. And if you're part of the body of Jesus Christ, your body is part of the body of Jesus Christ. Do you see Paul's logic? Your bodies are members of Christ himself. Your body is in Christ. There's there's something spiritual about your physical body because it is in Christ. So you don't choose to use it for sin, says Paul. And then reason four, you've got the very nature of the sin itself. Your body is bonded in the wrong way, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with her in spirit. Youngsters, can we just take a time out for a minute to talk about sex in order to make sense of what God's saying here? Very few things that we actually do in this life are entirely physical, are they? When you stop and think about it. I mean, even if you do something like taking up a pen and writing a letter, it's not just a physical activity, is it? Your mind's involved in it, your emotions are involved in it. If you go and play football, it's not just physical because, well, I've never yet seen people playing football where they don't get emotional about it. You know, there is nothing that is just purely physical for a human. And the great lie of evolution is that as Humans, we're just animals and animals just have sex because it's just a physical activity that they do. Therefore, as humans, when we have sex, it's just a human activity, a physical activity and nothing more than that. It isn't. Firstly, because it certainly involves our emotions, it involves our minds, it involves our whole being, it's not just a physical thing. But secondly, because we are not animals. God has created us as unique beings. He has created us above the animals, a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's our status. Just a little lower than the angels. And when we involve in a sexual act, it is not just two animals having a physical experience together. It's something radically, totally different to that. The first thing God tells us is that sex for a human is part of a bigger thing it's part of marriage. It's part of a relationship. You know, animals don't get married. I, I mean, some do mate for life, others don't. They just, they just mate for the sexual act and then they part again. For human beings, it is something that is linked into a bigger thing of marriage, of a relationship, where one man and one woman find a compatibility in each other and for Christians, the chief thing of that is that that other person is a Christian as well so that you're equally yoked. And you find someone who you can share your life with, who can help you and encourage you and you can help and encourage them, who can be a helpmate to you and you get married to them. And the first purpose of marriage is not even that you should have sex together, despite what some prayer books might suggest in the wording. That the primary purpose for marriage is that you help each other. At least according to God's word it is. Genesis 2 verse 20, it's there to provide a suitable helper for man because amongst all the animals there was none to match him in compatibility. So God has ordained that human beings who are not like animals should look at each other, recognise their needs and the needs of others, 
and, and find someone who they have a compatibility with and an attraction to and they should commit themselves to each other for life. That they should make vows to each other in the presence of God. And then within that that they should enjoy this sexual union which is the highest expression of their love and their intimacy and their delight in each other. And that's how God's intended it to be. And to take it out of that is to abuse it. And something amazing happens when a man and a woman share that act together. It describes it in Scripture as the two becoming one flesh. And I don't understand the mystery of that because I believe it goes beyond what we're humanly aware of when we do it. That there is some sense, God says, in which those two actually bond, they actually unite. They actually, as it were, almost share who they are in that experience. And God's place for that is in marriage, where they are sharing who they are with each other, where they are committed to sharing the rest of their life together, where they have said, I will separate myself and not have this relationship with anyone else but with you. This is what I want and this is God's purpose for us. God gave it to human beings right back there in the Garden of Eden. It's a creation ordinance. God gave it there for, for humanity for all time. He said, this is my desire and design for human beings that you will refrain from wrong sexual relationships. Animals do it, that's fine, they're animals. Human beings, God says, you don't do it. Now, ever since the fall, animals desire to do it, human beings desire to do it because it's, it's sin, it's, 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 it's that quirkiness that, that's there from the fall. But God says, not when you're Christians. As Christians, you put away those things and you honour God with your bodies. In fact, he says, verse 17, if you're a Christian, you're already bonded to Christ spiritually so if your spiritual bond is to Christ how can your physical bond be to what is against Christ it doesn't make sense does it it's, it's like you're trying to bond yourself in two diametrically opposed directions so do you see why to do these things is worse when it's a Christian than a non-Christian because those things aren't true of the non-Christian but they're true of the Christian Reason number five. You actually violate your own body. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Can you imagine the nonsense of waking up in the morning, praying to God, thanking him for your body, blessing him for this body that he's given you, that uh, has not got disease and is active and you can enjoy the day with, and then going out and chopping your hands off. Wouldn't that be a total nonsense? How can you violate the body that you just thank God for giving you? And Paul's saying, well, if you go out and have sexual, a, a wrong sexual act with someone, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're thanking God for this body he's given you and then you're violating that body. Which makes no sense at all. Reason six, you violate the temple of the Holy Spirit. God indwells your body by his Spirit. That is an amazing mystery, isn't it? That God lives inside you. And he doesn't say that 
when you go to commit sexual adultery the Holy Spirit says okay I'm leaving you at this point I'll come back after you've finished and I say that reverently he doesn't say that if you're a Christian you're still with his spirit so you're actually causing God to get involved in that aren't you? you're actually taking the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells and using that to dishonour God and the last one is this and if all those others haven't convinced you in your thinking and any one of them should have done then surely this must Christ gave his life to set you free from sins like this Christ poured out his blood on Calvary Christ endured the wrath of the Holy Father upon him in order to set you free from being entrapped by such sins as this he did it to to win your eternal salvation of course he did he's covered your sin he bore the wrath of the Father for that for every sin you've committed but he also died to set you free from sin it's not just what's going to happen when you die or Christ returns it's about the life now he died to give us the victory you're not your own he says you were bought with a price the precious blood of Jesus Christ was poured out at Calvary for each and every Christian for each and every one who has truly come in repentance and faith to Christ Christ's blood was spilled for you that means you're not your own anymore you've been bought by God Romans 6, 16-18 reads like this Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to God who though you used to be slaves to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed the former teaching to which you were entrusted you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness God owns us Christ owns you my friend if you're a Christian you're not your own 1 Corinthians 6.20 you were bought at a price therefore honour God with your body how's it for you this morning if you're not a Christian I'm not judging you in this sin over any other sin you haven't got the power within you to live as God calls you to live but God has made provision for that he's made provision for that at Calvary what he requires of you is you recognise your sin that you recognise that it is sin whatever the world calls it whatever political correctness calls it whether it's in your mind whether it's physically whether it's this sin or another whether it's coveting something whether it's losing control of your temper whether it's not honouring God and loving him with all your mind body and soul whatever it is that you recognise that that is sin and that puts you as God's enemy that puts you against God God requires that you recognise that that you seek his forgiveness for that that you come and, and plead for his mercy over that 
and, and you recognise before him that you've got no claim on him at all except the blood of Christ which he has provided. And the only thing you can do is come to him and ask him that for Christ's sake he will forgive you. That he will cover your sin by the blood of Christ and that you just give him your life in response to that and say, Lord, take it and use it. Do with it what you choose. And then he will give you the power to not only he'll give you access to heaven but he'll also give you the power in the rest of this life to lead a life that pleases and glorifies and honours him my friend if you are a Christian are you living that life are you living that life or are you trying to find excuses for it like the church of Corinth we're going to sing as we close it's number 958